Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, November 26th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we are going to present a couple interviews surrounding Disney's Encanto. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film News Editor, by Turn Bowie. Hey, everyone. HT, uh, happy Thanksgiving. We're actually recording this right before Thanksgiving, so we can publish this for people so they don't have to go multiple days without a podcast episode. But hopefully you have and had a good Thanksgiving in this weird nether realm that we're in right now. Yes. Um, in this hypothetical situation, I am having a good Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Uh, so yeah, um, you had a chance to do several interviews around Disney's new animated musical Encanto. You've talked about this film already on a previous edition of The Water cooler. So uh, I won't have you like repeat your thoughts about the movie, but generally speaking, you liked it, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it recaptured that old Disney wonder. And I think it's just a a really sweet and nuanced and charming um, and transporting Disney musical. And I think that, you know, it it doesn't have that kind of... (laughs) I've, I've had this complaint before, but like that kind of smug self-awareness that a lot of non-musical Disney films and animated films in general have. I think that it's just like very, very sincere and earnest, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a Disney musical. And the fact that it's in Columbia and has this almost this very magical realist bent mm-hmm. um, that feels almost very inspired by 100 Years of Solitude, which I found very funny. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. And I thought the music by Lin-Manuel Miranda, while being very reminiscent of his past songs that he's done for other musicals like In the Heights and Hamilton, uh, were really good and really fun. Well, you mentioned earnestness, and that's a topic that you raise in this interview with him. Do you want to set up this interview? Yeah. So I spoke with Lin-Manuel Miranda about the songs that he wrote for Encanto and what it was like to uh, you know, write for a Columbia set musical, why he's kind of become the go-to guy for Disney's culturally diverse musicals, which he laughed at, and also what it is about the animation 
medium that lends itself so perfectly to the earnestness inherent in the musical genre. So we talked about that and it was a really great conversation. He's really sweet. He's a big Disney fanatic. So it was just really fun to talk with him. I could have talked with him for longer than the nine minutes that I was limited to. (laughs) All right. Here is Lin-Manuel Miranda. Hi, Lynn. My name is Hui Chen Bui with SlashFilm.com. It's great to speak with you today. Hi, nice to meet you. Uh, so uh, this is your second Disney musical for which you wrote and composed the songs. What brought you back? And was there pressure just past the songs that you wrote for Moana? <laughs> uh, there's pressure anytime you're working for Disney, not because of Moana, but because of The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Snow White and Pinocchio uh, and The Lion King. Um, yeah, but basically I had a wonderful time working on Moana. It was a dream come true uh, to write songs uh, for a Disney animated film. The Little Mermaid is what exploded my brain when I was nine years old and really made me fall in love with musical theater, musical storytelling. Um, and so um, I sort of, when that went well, <laughs> I asked the my boss, Tom McDougall, um, who, who runs music for Disney, um, can I just be in on the ground floor of the next one? Because when I was hired from Moana, it was already several years in development. Um, so I just really wanted to be there from the beginning uh, and, and was very happy happy to, uh, to be there, but the pressure doesn't go away. You know, your work is going on a playlist with some of the greatest movie music of all time. And so you have to actually put that out of your head and just focus on your characters and, and telling the story while you're writing. So how did you approach the songs for Encanto differently than the songs from Moana? Were there any specific Colombian musical characteristics or flares that you brought into the songs, for example? Yeah, I, I always say the, the the two things that you bring with you to every project are research and empathy. Uh, that's those are the two most those are the tools you're going to use the most while you're making the thing. And I um, um, a couple of things. One, I was I, because I was there early in the process. I knew that the the thing we were all trying to get our arms around Byron and Sharice and, and Jared and I uh, was to really tell the story of a family. Um, a lot of times when you're, you're making a movie, you kind of cut out the characters you don't need because you've got a main character and they've got a journey. Um, but we wanted the family to be the main character. We wanted the dynamics and how they change and evolve or get stuck um, to actually be the, the, the story. Like that's, that's complicated enough. Anyone who has grown up in a family and has had to try to individuate from their family uh, and has a tension between how they see themselves and how uh, their family sees them. Um, that was the, the meaty stuff we wanted to, to write about and capture. Um, and then when we settled on Colombia as, as the setting, we just dove into research. We flew down there. We stayed there for two weeks. We listened to musicians. Um, you know, it was fun for me as someone with, with roots in Puerto Rico and Mexico to dive into um, this other country was sort of like going to your cousin's house. You see there's ways in which your music is similar, but there's ways in which those rhythms diverge and the instruments that play those melodies diverge. So to that end, you know, the opening number, I think for the first time in a Disney movie is this like accordion centric uh, Latin tune, because that's such a linchpin in, in Colombian music. And, um, and also, um, but, but beginning to end, just like using uh, Colombian instruments, uh, Colombian rhythms uh, and forms uh, that was, that was really fun and and again is what makes uh the the specificity of the work uh sort of really land so 
right, this might sound like a, same, a strange question, but um, what is it about your songwriting style that is making you Disney's go-to songwriter for culturally diverse animated musicals? <laughs> oh, I'm just happy I get invited to the dance at all. I don't know. I, I know that when I was interviewed for Moana, I was one among many songwriters and I was being interviewed by Ron and John, who directed the movie that made me fall in love with this form. Uh, and I sat down and I said, I'm here because of you. Um, I'm here because of your movie. And I was so lucky to get brought along uh, for that journey. Um, but the truth is, um, it's a it's also really uh, exciting. I'm really, um, I'm very close with Bobby and Kristen Anderson Lopez too. Bobby and I went to the same elementary school and high school and had the same amazing music teacher, Barbara Ames, who set us off in this direction when we were too young to even realize it. Um, and so um, the fact that I can call them and commiserate um, on this stuff, um, when I'm stuck on a song from Mirabelle that I have someone who actually really knows what they're doing in this incredible songwriting team, uh, is, is what makes it really, um, really rewarding, um, that, that I, uh, you know, I, that I've become, that I've gotten to know the folks who are the best at this, um, whether it's calling Alan Menken and working with him uh, or calling Bobby and Kristen, uh, just like, I feel like the little brother of the club who like occasionally gets a song on the board. Um, it makes me very grateful to be here. So you've worked on both the live action and animated side of musicals. There's been a surge in musical adaptations recently in both live action and animation, some maybe more successful than others. Uh, what do you think it is about animation specifically that lends itself to the earnestness that is inherent in the musical form? Oh, I would need so much longer than the nine minutes we have. <laughs> um, but I I'll tell you, you know, when I when I first started working on Moana, one of the first things I did was um, I got a I, I was behind the scenes over at Disney Animation. I got this incredible DVD of Howard Ashman basically holding a class on musical theater storytelling for all of the Disney animators that work on the movie. And he went beat by beat through Little Mermaid and why this song is here and why it matters and why we're going on. The, we're going to establish the world of Fathoms Below and we're going to go from above the world that we know down below the world. And that's how we're going to musically introduce. And like it is this. I learned more from that hour long DVD uh, than anything, because more than anything, animation can move at the speed of thought in a way something on stage can't. You see it in this movie. You know, I wrote this song, Surface Pressure for Luisa, and I'm in my corner of the world writing rhymes for the word nervous. Nervous, Cerberus, have they seen how big the iceberg is? But then the animators take that and they just, they let their imagination go wild with it and cut to me watching this incredible number. And we're going to all of the places the lyrics go to, which is really free associative. Um, and, but animation can move at the speed of free association. Um, it can go anywhere uh, and in any direction. And, um, and so it's, it's really thrilling for a songwriter because what comes back to you is so much more than you could have imagined. And you are set to make your own directorial debut adapting Tick, Tick, Boom as well in live action. Do you think you can speak as to why some filmmakers may have found difficulty translating uh, hit musicals to the big screen? Um, I, I don't know who has and who hasn't. I know that it is the hardest thing you can do um, because when you walk into a theater to see a live musical on stage, 
you know that's what you're paying for. You're like, all right, these guys are going to break in a song. Let's see it. Um, but when you when the camera is here and it looks like real life, the threshold to burst into song um, is trickier. You have to find a way in that makes it feel organic and real, and you have to you have to set up the rules and you have to stick to them. Um, and the best filmmakers really know how to do that. I'm thinking of Bob Fosse. I'm thinking of uh, Rob Marshall. Uh, I think of John Chu's incredible work on Heights. I think the way he set up that musical world uh, with the percussion of the neighborhood is so incredible. Um, but it's, I mean, there, there's several issues. It's you're taking a two act thing often and turning it into a three act structure. Um, you know, for me, the fun of Tick, Tick, Boom is that there is no dis definitive version. Jonathan Larson used to perform it as a rock monologue in, uh, in 1990. And I have all of the different drafts of just that. Then there was a posthumous off-Broadway version that was designed for three actors. Um, and that's the version I saw that you know, my senior year in college that blew my mind. Um, and so in making the film, we we really kind of opened up all the drafts and said, what what can we take from all of this that makes for the best movie? It, it, it can't be what's on stage. There is no definitive on stage version. So we had a real, I think we had a real advantage in Tick, Tick, Boom because we had a lot of working drafts to, to pick and choose for our movie. All right, that's all the, the time I have today. Unfortunately, I wish I could talk to you and um, uh, pick your brain about Disney songs and Disney musicals because also a big fan and oh, big fan of you too. So thank you so much for speaking with me today, Lynn. Thank you so much. Thanks for the great questions. That was great. And now let's go. You also had a chance to speak with a few other people involved with the making of this movie, right? Yes. So I spoke with directors Byron Howard and Jared Bush. And I also talked with the writer Sharice Castro-Smith. And we spoke about just um, how Byron Howard and Jared Bush ended up working on this project after coming from Zootopia, which is a wildly different film, and um, what it, how they how much research they put into uh, getting that Columbia culture correct, and what, what it was like to basically create the first Disney magical realist musical movie. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the, uh, the combination there. All right, so here is that interview. Okay, great. Hi, my name is Huai Chen Bui. I'm with SlashFilm.com. Nice to speak with you guys today. Hey, great Hi. to talk to you. Good to see you. All right, so uh, first question is for Byron and Jared. Uh, okay. Your last Disney collaboration together was Zootopia, a very different film than Encanto. Uh, first, how did you go about directing a film that's very steeped in a Colombian culture and setting? Well, I would say like, you know, Jared and I loved working together on Zootopia and um, Jared had just also finished Moana working with Lin-Manuel Miranda and all of us like we're musicians, Lin of course is, Jared and I are also musicians, not as accomplished, but just as enthusiastic, but we wanted to do a musical. We really, really wanted to. And um, Lynn was very keen on knew where it should be set. We knew it wanted to be about family, about extended family. But in looking at Latin America, the one place that kept coming up over and over again was Colombia, because it's this amazing crossroads of culture, of dance, of music, of family, amazing mixed, uh, diverse families that we thought would be perfect uh, for this film. What would you add, Jared? Yeah, and I'd say on top of that, um, we have this amazing Colombian cultural trust that's been helping us the entire time. So for, for five years straight, actually, even before we thought of the movie, we had wonderful friends that helped us on Zootopia, uh, Juan Rindon and Natalie Ozma, who are Colombian, who were already talking to us about Colombia. So 
it's really been like five years of learning for us. And we're lucky that we have dozens and dozens of people helping us, teaching us and looking at the movie at every single phase along the way. And Sharice, can you speak to the influence, influences uh, that, you know, uh, were that you had while writing the script with Jared, both culturally and maybe artistically? Sure. So, uh, you know, when I, when Jared and Byron brought me on to work on this film, uh, they were really interested in making a, a film that was inspired by magical realism. And, uh, you know, we, Jared and I used that as a touchstone as we were writing throughout the whole process. And I think the way that we sort of interpreted that and uh, thought about it in the film is uh, that it's magic that's born out of human emotion, out of relationship, out of need and drive. And, you know, there's a big sort of central event that happens in the family that's really born out of the abuela, the matriarch of this, this movie's unconditional love. Uh, and so um, using that kind of guidepost, guide, uh, guidepost <laughs> for the magic in the movie was uh, something that we decided on really early on and was really important throughout. Let's talk about magical realism. It's a literary genre that has its roots in South America. Um, and well, have you guys read uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude? Oh, yeah, of oh, course. Absolutely. I mean, I think absolutely. early on, we all love that literature anyway. And so mm -hmm. I think early on, certainly uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is someone we were, we were reading or Borges or Isabel Allende. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think we kind of steeped ourselves in as much as possible. Um, it is really difficult to translate to film, actually. You know, I think on the page, magical realism is one thing. So I think like Sharice is saying, we, I think we say our movies inspired by magical realism. I don't know that we'd call it actual magical realism, but these are stories we love because it's a type of, of magic that is, is really rooted in reality and character and needs that foundation. And it's also something that we at Disney Animation never tried before. Typically our magic is, is, uh, is European based and we wanted to try something that felt very different and really was born out of character. Yeah, when I was watching the film, I immediately thought of 100 Years of Solitude. So I think yeah. you were able to communicate that <laughs> magical <laughs> realism. And I think it's also probably the first magical realist musical. So oh. you think about that, yeah. amazing. That's really true, that's a good point. So what do you think it is about um, the musical and magical realism that you're able to sort of marry those two things that feel like they shouldn't be in the same sentence really? Well, I'd say that when, uh, one of the things that Lynn got excited about very early on was writing for an ensemble, like this big group of a dozen people that all have, that are intertwined in this family tapestry inside this, that got him very excited, I think also, as we saw what Sharice uh, and Jared were doing with the script and especially leaning into the, the grandmother's backstory, this sort of the core of what this family is about. It let Lynn, I think, have a lot of different colors to paint with musically. So every song is different. Like there's some songs that feel like they're on, they could be on the radio today, like reggaeton songs, very contemporary kind of synthy. And then there are songs like Dos Oreguitas, this beautiful song that feels like it's a folk song that's been around for a hundred years, but it's so personal to the Madrigal family. Uh, I think it's a surreal, it's a, it, was, it really woke me up as far as like what I thought this movie was gonna be at the beginning and what it became, it was, it's much more than I thought it ever could be. So I was, yeah, I was very happy that emotion was such a big part of this movie that it just made its way into the music. The musical sequences too are so vivid and imaginative. They feel like they're in dialogue with Lin-Manuel Miranda's very energetic, unique kind of music. Uh, Byron and Jared, can you speak as to the direction of these sequences and how they push the boundaries of reality, maybe in the ways that magical realism does? 
Yeah, I mean, for sure. I'd say that that one of the things we knew uh, early on is we're going to center this movie around this family, 12 people, and we're going to be in a house with these 12 people. So we knew when we got to the music portions that the music had to transport us somewhere different or open up our eyes or really sort of push the environment around us. So one of the, I think the, the real joys for us in working with Lynn is that we would go back and forth and trying to figure out, okay, whose, whose song is this going to be? And he'd be able to distill down a song like Surface Pressure, which is Luisa's song. Um, you know, he really took that from his own family life. His, his older sister, someone had all this responsibility, but he always says like, he always saw her vulnerabilities, tiny, he could see those things. And so putting that into a song gave us something really special, but his lyrics talked about things all over the world and throughout history. And we thought what a great way to show that, like put it into animation so those lyrics would come to life. So I think one of the really exciting things is when we started this movie, we didn't know how all of that would play out, what the songs would actually sound like, where they might take us. Um, it was really this, this organic back and forth that allowed us to be very creative, but at the same time, every single one of these songs is super grounded in character and the emotions and what the family is going through. One of the things I found really interesting about this movie story-wise was that there's no real villain and it deals with such, you know, more deep topics as the pressures that family can put on you. Sharice, uh, can you speak about that, how you structure a Disney musical film around a story that has no villain that is about these sort of more uh, mature topics? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question. And for a long time, you know, we were trying to figure out how to do that and how to balance particularly that character Abuela Alma because you know we had a lot of screenings and it was always just a process of trying to figure out how do we make her relatable sort of not too in, too uh, gruff and unlikable so balancing her as a character was something that took a long time and uh, was a really nuanced process but then also you know uh, we started thinking of the film as a mystery, actually. So, uh, you know, there is not an antagonist in the traditional way, uh, but Mirabelle is slowly sort of unraveling this mystery about her family as she goes sort of talking, getting to know people deeper and piecing together sort of what's wrong. Uh, so it was interesting, once we sort of had that insight that it was actually sort of more of a mystery structure, it was a really big revelation. So it's a magical realist musical mystery movie. Yeah, just one of those. All the M's, they're all the M's. <laughs> and Mirabel and Madrigal, so we just <laughs> any M word is in there. All right, that's all I have to ask for today. Thank you so much for speaking with me. What a great conversation this was. Thank you so Thank much. You. Great talking to you. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay, awesome. So yeah, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of people had the chance to go out and see this movie uh, over the Thanksgiving break. It seems like a perfect family outing and and I'm guessing a lot of people took advantage of that. So hopefully people enjoyed these interviews as well. But uh, thanks for doing this, HTA. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hope you guys enjoyed the interviews and had your fill of some good old family fun over at Disney's house. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, you can find more about Encanto at SlashFilm.com and you can find the written version of these interviews linked in the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you on Monday.